The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Well, if you have your Bible, please open it to Matthew 28, beginning at verse 18. It's hard to believe that our series on the church of Ephesus has been a year. In Ephesians chapter five, Paul talks about wives and husbands, and he says that that's a metaphor for the relationship between the church and Jesus. So in that metaphor, the church is the wife, the church is the bride. And this is not a fairy tale relationship. It's a dysfunctional relationship. And it's a dysfunctional relationship because the wife, the bride of Christ, the church, is frequently rebellious and frequently disobedient. The Old Testament language would would call the church a harlot, cheating on Jesus with every opportunity we get. The church likes to argue. The church likes to get into endless discussions about things that don't matter. The church likes to be angry and bitter. We like to draw attention to ourselves. The church is often lazy. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? The church often pursues wealth for selfish gain. The church often treats her leadership like garbage and the church often abandons her friends. The church often gossips and spreads rumors about other brides of Christ. The church is often absolutely convinced of her own rightness, but doesn't love others through theirs. She claims she's right with God, but doesn't love God's people. She has a hard time knowing the truth and is easily led astray. Proverbs 27 verses 15 and 16 describe the wife of Christ, the church, perfectly. A quarrelsome wife is as annoying as constant dripping on a rainy day. Stopping her complaints is like trying to stop the wind or trying to hold something with greased hands. And despite all of this, despite all of her flaws and imperfections, This is the bride that Jesus loves. Despite the reality of who and what the church is, despite the reality of what the church does and the way the church behaves, this is the bride that Jesus has claimed. And his response is simple. This also is from Ephesians 5. It says this, he gave himself, he gave his life for her to make her holy and clean washed by the cleansing of God's word. That is Jesus's response to this unloving bride. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In short, Jesus loves the church. Jesus loves his bride. Without shame, without embarrassment, He consistently and persistently welcomes the church back home to himself. Because he loves her. 
because he died for the church. Over and over and over again, he welcomes us back. So we've spent, we've spent this last year talking about what was happening in the church in Ephesus. And a question that we wanna ask ourselves is, is what, what difference has it made? What difference does it make in our lives when we hear the things and challenges and uh, the successes of the church at Ephesus? Because we're not Ephesus, but their call to love God and love others is our call. We've talked about this a lot. We've talked about how these letters that we've talked about over the last year, they, they weren't written to us. They were written to the church at Ephesus. They were written from John to Gaius. They were written from Paul to Timothy. But that doesn't mean that there's not something for us in the midst of these letters. So where do we get this call from? Where do we get our orders from? Our call to love God and to love other people. Let's read Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20 together this morning. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this, I am with you even to the end of the age. See, we have a mission as this bride, as this wife, as a church. We have a mission and it is given to us by the ultimate authority in the universe. I love the very first thing that Jesus says. I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. None of us have that level of authority. We might think we have authority in our families or in our jobs, but none of us has authority in the way that Jesus has authority. This is telling us that Jesus is the ultimate authority. There is no one over him. And what he is doing with that authority is giving us an instruction as the church. He's giving us an instruction as his people. And the way we break down this text here at Westway Christian Church is really simple. We say that our mission at Westway Christian Church is to proclaim Jesus as Lord. That's how we distill these verses down. That's how we distill these words down is our mission is to proclaim Jesus as Lord. We are not a political action committee. And some of you in the next few months are going to need to remember that. We are not advocating for a party. We are not advocating for a candidate. The church is not a political action committee. The church is on a mission to proclaim Jesus as Lord. We're not a social club. We don't proclaim self-help. We're not a gym. 
We talked about this several years ago. Membership here at West White Christian Church has very few privileges and has many responsibilities. Because instead of privilege, we have a mission to proclaim Jesus as Lord. We've talked a lot over the past year about truth and love, and these aren't just These aren't just words and they're not just abstract concepts. We don't have our mission statement and our vision statement written in our wall in the lobby just just to make us feel good about ourselves. Oh yeah, what are we supposed to do? That's what I'm supposed to do. No, these are there for a reason because we have a purpose. They're actions that demonstrate who we are. They're actions that demonstrate our faithfulness him. And these actions are the indicator of whether or not we truly love God and truly love people. So are we a faithful church? Are we a faithful bride? Are we being obedient? How can we know? So I was thinking about this over the past month. Came up with a little phrase. It's just truth plus love equals action. Truth plus love equals action. And the actions that we take as a church are really, really simple. There's four of them. We gather and we give and we serve and we love. Those are the four actions as a church that that we are called to do that will help us fulfill our mission. Let's talk about gathering. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus talked about building his ecclesia. That was the Greek word that Jesus would have used. It refers to many types of gatherings in the Roman world. Public gatherings is what ecclesia would be used for. And in this moment, Jesus changes the meaning of a word. Well, how can Jesus do that? Well, Jesus has ultimate authority. So if Jesus says that the word ecclesia now means a gathering of people who are gathered together to worship God because he has the ultimate authority, that's what the word means. So we wanna be cautious about referring to this place as the church. I know what the sign out front says. And almost every single time when I talk about coming over to this place, I call it the building. Because I have to remind myself that it is not this place that is the church. It is us. And in the 114 times that the word ecclesia is used in the New Testament, it never once refers to a building. Never once. It always refers to the gathering of believers. And we gather in large groups and we gather in small groups. And when we gather, that's not only, that's not only proclaiming Jesus as Lord in our gathering, but it is an indication that Jesus is Lord. So there are kind of two parts to that. When we gather, we're saying that Jesus is Lord. And it's an indication that Jesus is Lord. We're proclaiming him. We proclaim that Jesus is Lord in lots of ways in our big gathering. We sing songs together, proclaiming, telling God who he is. The you in most, if not all of the songs that we sing are not talking about you, they're talking about God. 
We are here to proclaim Jesus as Lord through our singing. We proclaim Jesus as Lord when we hear the message, when we hear God's word read to us and read over us. We proclaim Jesus as Lord when we have communion together. We proclaim Jesus' death and resurrection until he returns again. We proclaim truths out of scripture. We talk about the realities of who God is and the realities of who we are as people. And our gatherings are an indication that Jesus is Lord. And here's what that means. I share with you a few months ago the story that Francis Chan says. One Sunday after their gathering, someone walked up to Francis Chan and said, hey, you know what? I really didn't like the worship this morning. And I wonder if you remember Francis Chan's response. He said, that's okay, we weren't worshiping you. See, when we gather together, we are giving an indication that Jesus is Lord, not our preferences. Our preferences aren't Lord, Jesus is Lord. We love others especially with those that that we have disagreements with. We gather together with people with whom we have disagreements, and this indicates that Jesus is Lord. Well, how does that do it? How does gathering with people who, who believe differently than us, who think about different things differently than us, how does that indicate that Jesus is Lord? Well, because on our own, we would never cross some of the economic gaps that exist in this ecclesia. On our own, we would never cross some of the economic gaps that exist in this ecclesia. Some of us would never cross the social status gaps that exist in this room. And although most of us gathered in this physical space today are white, many of us would never cross racial gaps if it weren't for Jesus. See, there are, there are Democrats and Republicans in this room today. There are conservatives and liberals and libertarians, and I'm sure there's a socialist or two. There's probably even a racist or two in this room. And yet God has done something amazing by bringing all of us into this room to not be focused on ourselves, to not be focused on the way that our world identifies us, that our world separates us from one another. But God brings us into this place so that we can proclaim Jesus as Lord together. And we're gonna talk more about this in October when we have a series leading up to our election. The importance of recognizing that Jesus is Lord. See, God has placed us in this space in the way that he sees fit. He has organized the body of Christ, not us. Because on our own, we could never get this group of people together. Only God can do that. My friend Rick, Rick Lawrence says it this way. He says, how we are together is really our proclamation of the gospel. See, when we come together and we cross all of these lines, we cross the economic lines and social status lines and racial lines, and we cross 
uh, political party lines. And we can come together as one body and proclaim that Jesus is Lord. That's a proclamation of the gospel. The people who have no business spending time together can actually sit together in a room for depending on the Sunday, anywhere between 75 and 85 minutes. And cast aside all of our differences and just focus on worshiping God. When we gather, there are times where it's gonna be inconvenient for us. And if Jesus is my Lord and if Jesus is your Lord, then we are willing to gather when it is inconvenient. We are willing to do things together when it doesn't work for us. Because my time is not Lord, Jesus is Lord. I want you to think about a few things as we go through this today. If everyone gathered like you, what kind of church would we have? Totally recognizing the times in which we live, that people are unable to return and unwilling to return and not heaping guilt and shame on you for not coming back sooner, whatever that looked like. Because this isn't the only place that we gather. Many of us have gathered online. So a question that we have to ask though is if everyone gathered like me, What kind of church would we have? What would that say about our proclamation of Jesus as Lord? What would people, or would people see the reality of Jesus as Lord in your life if you, if everyone gathered like you? Let's talk about giving. We often talk about giving here in three ways. We talk about our time, our treasure, and our talent. We're gonna talk about time and talents in a minute when we talk about serving together. I'm gonna talk about our treasure. See, God wants us to give of our treasure and it's not because he needs anything. Remember, Jesus is the ultimate authority in the universe. So I'm gonna ask you a question. Do you think he needs anything from you? Do you think God needs anything from you as the ultimate authority in the universe? The answer is no, he doesn't. So so why do we give? Because it's an indication of who our Lord is. Our giving is an indication of who our Lord is. We actually talked a lot about money over the last year. I don't know if you noticed. I went through the, the books and the texts that we read In Acts chapter 19, this was at the very beginning of the series. In Acts chapter 19, the people who came to Christ burned all of their incantation books in a public bonfire. The value was several million dollars. See, their willingness to set aside their income was so large that they affected the economy in the community. Ephesus struggled when this took place. Throughout the letter to the Ephesians, Paul wrote, of the riches that God had for his kingdom, for people that were living in his kingdom for the bride. They were spiritual blessings like wisdom and mercy and grace and kindness. There was a rich blessing of inner strength through his spirit and the experienced love of Christ. He told them not to live like fools and make the most of every opportunity. 
See, this is about giving. Because many of us, when, when Jesus is not our Lord and our finances are, we act like fools. And we don't make the most of every opportunity. In his letter to 1 Timothy, Paul told the, the women at the church in Ephesus to stop flaunting their wealth, to not draw attention to themselves with their hair or their clothes. He wants church leaders that, that must not love money. He says that we came into the world and we're taking nothing with us. And for many of us, our mindset is, if I only had a little bit more, then I would be happy. If I only had that next income level, then I would be happy. And what I need you to know about that is that's a lie from hell. It is simply not true. Instead, Paul says this, but people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into destruction. See, I've been in the church long enough to see this happen. To see people who don't worship Jesus, who don't proclaim Jesus as Lord, but they worship and they proclaim money as Lord. And it's a slow shipwreck. And I've seen it from from miles away. He continues, for the love of money is the root of all evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. See, Jesus talks about the impossibility of loving both God and money. He says, you can't do it. And that's not a dare. When Jesus says you cannot love God and love money, our response is, wanna bet? Watch me try, because I think I can do it right. No one else in history, the billions upon billions upon billions of people who've tried to love God and money, none of them have ever done it correctly. But we have convinced ourselves that we can. And Jesus says it's an impossibility. See, to live generously, to give generously indicates that Jesus is our Lord. It's, it's a removal of an obstacle between God and myself. And it's an indicator that we are trusting in God's provision alone. That's what it means to proclaim Jesus as Lord through our giving, is to indicate that money is not an obstacle between me and God. It's an acceptance, it's an acknowledgement that Jesus is my Lord. So what does your bank account say about the identity of your Lord and Savior? This isn't a pledge drive. This is about a proclamation of a truth that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus has ultimate authority in our lives. Are your hands open in generosity? Or, or are they closed, clinging to what is yours? If everyone gave like you, what kind of church, what kind of ecclesia, what kind of gathering would we be of people? What would that say about our proclamation of Jesus as Lord? So let's talk about our, our time and our talents. And this is, this is serving. Serving as an indicator of Jesus as Lord. 
Jesus came, Jesus came and he said that he came not to be served, but to serve. When we read through the Bible, we see time, treasure, talents. This is how people served. And none of these things, and this is important for you to understand, none of these things are to the exclusion of the other two. So practically what that means is, I don't get to say, you don't get to say, well, I give of my treasure so I don't have to give of my time or my talents. It's not the way it works. Well, I serve all the time so then I don't have to give of my treasure. Not the way it works. These things are not exclusive of one another. We don't see that. And it's true that there are multiple gifts within the body. Each one of us has been given a special gift by God to do something, to use it for God's goodness or God's good and God's glory. And we want to act in accordance with them. Entire chapters of the book of Exodus are filled with finding people who are good at carpentry, who are good at metallurgy, who are good at sewing. Who are these people? What are their gifts? What are their talents? What are their skills? Let's bring them all together and let's build the temple and let's put together the priestly garments and let's do all of these things. And yet when it came time to rebuild the wall in Nehemiah, we talked about this several weeks ago. When it came time to rebuild the wall, they gathered all of the people together. And my favorite person that's listed is the manufacturer of perfumes. What does this person know about building a wall? But there they were, right alongside everyone else, serving in their talent and their gift. And maybe they were just the one that was passing out deodorant after a hard day's work. But they were serving, they were doing the work that they had been called to do. We have so many opportunities to indicate that Jesus is Lord through our serving, through our time and our talents. Today, many of us are gonna walk right through those doors on our way out and we're gonna be handed a bag of fresh vegetables. Will you help weed that garden? Will you help harvest that garden? Or are you just receiving? Are you just being served? Man, I sure hope they have vegetables today. I sure hope I get the good bag of vegetables today. Over the past five months, as we've, as we've transitioned through coronavirus, thousands upon thousands of dollars have been spent. Hundreds upon hundreds of hours have been spent. Have you contributed to that? Have you given of your time and your talent to that? Right now, all of our creative arts teams are looking for people to serve. And it's a, it's a tremendous commitment I want you to know that I'm, I'm putting time and talent together because it's not just something that we can give time to without being excellent and without utilizing talent on. It requires both of these things. 
And I wanna ask you, are you contributing to that? Last week, we just reopened our nursery and wee ones. So zero to three for families with kids that are zero to three can, can come back into our space. That's been, been one of the biggest hindrances to young families coming back into our physical space is not having a nursery and not having wee ones. Have some of you considered serving in the nursery so that we can get these families back into this space because they want to come back. And right now, they're not willing to because we don't have things for their children. And I know we talk a lot about, we value intergenerational ministry and we're totally cool with kids crying in this room. It's never going to bother me. And it shouldn't ever bother you when that happens. And some parents want to be able to take their kids to the nursery. Will you serve so that someone else can be here on a Sunday morning? This is what it looks like to not have a, have a taking mentality, but a giving mentality, a serving mentality. We'd like to have more small groups on Wednesday nights. And right now, childcare is a primary obstacle in the midst of that. Will you be willing to come and serve and provide childcare on Wednesday nights? And maybe you're farther along on the continuum of your faith, right? Maybe, maybe you're, mature, you're more mature in your faith. We have a whole bunch of people, not only in our church body, we have people in our community that have no idea who Jesus is. And I just think what an incredible testimony it would be for you to come and serve so that people who don't know Jesus could come here on a Wednesday night for a small group. Will you do that? Will you consider doing that? See, serving, serving in this way is a mindset for us. It's, a, it's an orientation. When we come here on a, on a Sunday morning, are you coming so you can hear music from your favorite Pandora station? Are you mentally th- giving, giving a thumbs up or a thumbs down depending on the length of the sermon? Do you hear how consumeristic that is? Do we, do we acknowledge how much of a take mentality that is for us? If everyone served like you, what, what kind of church, what kind of ecclesia would we have? What would that say about our proclamation of Jesus as Lord? See, we're on a mission it's to proclaim Jesus as Lord. It's not to hear our favorite song. It's not to give as little as possible. It's not to gather as, as less often as possible. Again, I recognize the realities of today. But we're, the authority of the universe has given you a mission. The ultimate authority of the universe has given you a mission. He's given me a mission to proclaim Jesus as Lord. So let's talk about go. Let's talk about going as the fourth thing. It's one thing to proclaim Jesus as Lord in a building, in a gathering where we are all together. And it's completely different to go where lost people are. This gathering is not going 
We are not going when we come into this space. We're gathering. See, I don't live in your neighborhood. I live at 1060 17th Street in Gearing. I have my own neighbors. You live in your neighborhood. That's what it looks like for you to go. I don't work where you work. I want to say this carefully. I work for an organization that we call Westway Christian Church. I don't work at Westway Christian Church. I work for an organization that we call Westway Christian Church. You are employed in your places of employment. That's where you go. I don't have the friends that you do. I have my own friends. I have my own non-Christian friends. I have my own non-Christian relationships. See, God has, God has placed you where you are, around who you are for a reason because he wants you to go. He wants you to go. I don't have the lost family members that you do. You have those lost family members. I don't have the influence that you do. I just don't. Three and a half years ago, I reminded you about the nuclear missile silos in our area. If you were here, I wonder if you remember when we talked about that. I told you that they were placed here in western Nebraska and Wyoming and Montana and Colorado. They, they were placed there strategically. They were placed there strategically for a reason, for a purpose. And you, 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 you have been placed strategically where you are by God. Not to wreak nuclear destruction on someone else, but you have been placed strategically where you are by God to love other people. You've been placed there to proclaim Jesus as Lord. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 10. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone tell them without being sent? This is why the scripture says, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. So what kind of church are we? We're gathering church. We gather, big groups and small groups. We give generously is what we're called to give. We serve and then we go. We're gonna... have sing a song, we're gonna have communion, we're gonna collect an offering. I hope many of you will stay for the question and answer time that we do afterwards. And then I'm gonna tell you to get out of my building. I'm gonna tell you to go. Because we are a going church. Let's pray. God, we are thankful that you tell us how we are to operate. 
without apology, without shame, without embarrassment. You tell us who we are as the authority, as the ultimate authority in the entire universe. You tell us what we are to do. Help us to be obedient. Help us to see you at work through our, through our gathering and our giving and our serving and our going. And it's in your son's name that we pray, amen.